back with our buddy George once again. He's got a, got a couple of stories for this one. A few short stories that uh, one is his own and a couple from some friends. So, uh, George, uh, take it away. Thank you, Steve. Well, I spent a lot of time with, uh, I call them senior, senior guys, you know, 20 years older or maybe a little more than me, where we, we did um, concessions at a ballpark. Had a lot of time where we'd stand around just waiting. And... I took that opportunity to ask a lot of the guys, and it was usually one-on-one with people, uh, if they ever had a miraculous or a supernatural or paranormal event happen in their life. A couple of them would kind of crack and, and chuckle and say, yeah, I, I did, but you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you. And, uh, you know, I'd always accept that challenge. And, uh, and boy, a couple times I really got gold. One of the best... The guy told me, um, gave me permission to tell the story. I, I, I asked him if he'd tell it himself, and he said, "Nah, you, you do a good, do a good job. You tell it." You, you talked to him recently. I talked to him, yeah, about a month ago. Oh, awesome! And uh, he says, "Go ahead and tell it." He says, "Change my name though, so we're just going to call him John." So John, he grew up in a, in a tight knit Italian family. He said every weekend, all the, the relatives would get together and have a big meal at his dad, mom, and dad's house. Um, he had cousins and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles, you know, that lived close by. So he had this one cousin, a girl. At this point, John was, I think he said he was like 14 or 15. And the girl was the same age. This one weekend it was raining and they were going to play a board game. So they go to the closet and, um, and the girl sees they've got a Ouija board in the closet. And uh, John had never played with it, never paid attention to it. And, but she seemed to know what it was and says, oh, we got to play this. <sighs> the Ouija board again. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so she pulls it out. And they go into John's room and they're sitting on the floor. And he says that they, he says they both sat Indian style and put this thing on their knees. And, uh, and she told him, you know, you put your hands on this thing and, you know, close your eyes and ask questions and it'll move. And. And he's, he's kind of laughing, saying, yeah, at first, you know, her eyes were closed, but mine weren't. And I knew her, you know, yes and no were and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd push it that way. And, and, and one time she caught me, and, and, and I told her I'd behave. And he says, at some point, you know, I didn't move it, and I thought she was because it started, it still did things and seemed like it was intelligent. He says, well, we, we played with this thing for a while, and, you know, it started answering our questions pretty spot on he said that kids at school had talked about how you you asked for this certain person to to guide you and they had a name for i can't quite remember the name that they had for this man or his entity but um that's that's great call something out by name 
Yeah, it was it was something <laughs> like um, uh, Captain Happy, something goofy, like some very comical, silly, you know, simple name. Captain, Captain Spaulding, something that sounds benign, but it's horrifying. Right, 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 right. So anyway, uh, at some point, he says, you know, they started playing this every weekend, you know, rain or shine. And uh, his father walks by their bedroom or Johnny's bedroom one weekend and sees the two of them sitting on the floor and says, says, what's wrong with you kids? What are you doing in here? Oh, well, we're playing with a Ouija board. He's like, go outside, get some fresh air. That's that. That's just a bunch of garbage. And he said, no, no, it, Dad, it, it really works. Well, John's dad says, well, if it's such, if it knows so much, then it it could probably tell me who's going to win the horse race on Wednesday. Supposedly, according to my friend John, he said that his dad was a a gambler for horse racing. I don't know if horses race on a Wednesday normally or what. So. The dad keeps walking but down the hall after he told him to you know, go outside, and that was junk. Well, they decide they're going to ask who's going to win this race, this horse race. It spells out a name, and they write it down on a piece of paper. And uh, a little later, when everybody's sitting down for their meal, John says, here, Dad, you know, this is for you. This guy's like, well, what's that? So that's the horse that's going to win Wednesday's race, according to our friend and the spirit board. So that was that, and, and John forgot about it. Apparently his father forgot about it too because the next weekend when all the family comes over, this cousin girl, first thing out of her mind is, hey, John, did that horse win or what? Oh, yeah. Hey, Dad, did that horse win the race? Uh, I don't know. And he, they, they kind of hounded him to where he, he went up to his dresser and got the little piece of paper they wrote on and and. I don't exactly know how this works, but I think he said there was a, either a newspaper or, or some kind of form showed who won what. So he held them together, and he gave those two a stern look, and he says, I don't know what, your guy, what you all are into, but you better be real careful. That horse won. This name they pulled out of the air won the race. I'm kind of surprised they didn't ask for who's going to win the next one. But <laughs> So that was the um, the lighter side of their happening. So they... He says, you know, they, they start playing with it again. But this time, as they're sitting there, sitting on the floor in Indian style with this on their knees, they said the board start, starts hopping and bouncing around on their knees to where they both look at each other with concern. He says the board lifts, up, lifts off, the, off their knees about a foot in the air, turns sideways, and flies against the wall at, like, jet liner speed, just crashes into the wall. And they're looking at each other just absolutely amazed. Well, they don't go run, tell mom and dad. They run over, grab the board, and pull it back down onto their knees and demand that uh, whatever is doing this tell them who it is. It spells out the words, you don't want to know. And these you know, 14, 15-year-old, oh, yeah, we do. Who's messing with us? We want to know who's messing with us. And uh, John said it so well. He, he had this look on his face, and I, you could see a little bit of trembling as he says it's spelled out T-H-E-D-E-V. <laughs> and they both realized it was going to say the devil, and they both jumped up and ran out of the room screaming and, uh, and found Mom and Dad and uh, told them the devil was in their, their, uh, their Ouija board and um, were pretty terrified. Well, that's not where it ended. That may be where their playing with the Ouija board ended. So John tells me, he says, I can't quite understand it. He says, but from that night that that happened, 
when his cousin went home, she was plagued by this this thing that uh, she said it would stand in the corner of her room. It was like a black figure with a black cloak with red eyes, and it would stare at her if she'd wake up at night and look. It would stare at her, and she would smell a burning smell in her room. And John said that, not that it makes any sense in the world, but John never had that happen to him, but they have another relative that lives like a town over that's their age, and that other relative had the same exact thing happen at his house. And he said that both the, you know, the girl cousin and this other relative had, were getting terrorized at night, and they said it lasted about a month to where this thing would just... When they went to bed, everything was fine, but if they woke up in the middle of the night, it was staring there, you know, watching them, and they would smell this burning smell in their room. And he said that it seemed that it, it dissipated in about a month's time to where it just kind of faded out and didn't happen anymore. So I said, John, is that, is that where the story ends? Well, he started laughing. He's like, well, no. He says, uh, in college, he says, I had a friend who was having a party, and I went over to the party. And he says, this friend had a really big, his parents had a really big house. And there was a lot of, a lot of people there. And he walks in, and, and everybody's in the kitchen around this Ouija board. And he, of course, is like, ugh, been there, done that, don't want any part of this. So he decides to go downstairs into the basement. And he says this basement was spacious and had, he called it the uh, pizzeria television, where it was the big three lights in a box and it projected on the wall. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was a couch. And there was a couple guys sitting on a couch watching a movie. He said that there was also a partition with like glass doors that were closed with a billiard table uh, off to the side of this room in the basement. So he decides he's going to sit down with these guys on the couch and watch this movie. And all of a sudden, upstairs, the whole crowd, are, and he says there's like 15 to 20 people around this Ouija board. Everybody erupts in like this huge amount of laughter and, you know, like something came through the board that was just, you know, really hilarious. He said it was just a racket upstairs, just noise level, just, you couldn't hear the movie because it was so loud. At that same exact moment, he said he heard somebody breaking the pile of balls on the pool table. Uh, you know, like they just took the first shot and scattered all the balls on the table. Well, one of the kids on the couch with him gets up and walks over and looks in that other room where the pool table is, and he starts backing away from it really slow, still watching that room. And he says that ain't right, and he runs up the stairs. Well, there was nobody in that room. There was nobody else in the basement. <laughs> he, Johnny says, well, the, the pool balls apparently, uh, they, they broke themselves, and uh, something was down there playing pool, and we couldn't see it. And uh, he said, yeah, he says it was time to leave that party too. So, yeah, he was a firm believer that uh, that's not something you mess with. Yeah, I've, I've heard other people tell stories about Ouija boards, and I, I think we talked about this before. I won't even let, I never even let my kids have one in the house. I, 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 they're bad juju, man. Right. I agree. Yeah, there's so many people, um, uh, and people that have a platform to, to televise will say that, um, yeah, it's a game. It's all in your mind. But mm. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I, th I think it's like, uh, you know, communication with you just don't know what. Yeah, and they say that you don't even have to have the official Hasbro Ouija board. You can you can draw it on a piece of paper or, yeah. you know, 
anything that opens that door and opens that line of communication in that and functions like that is is bad news. The intent, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it for Johnny. All right. Poor Johnny. Johnny's Johnny's doing well, I assume. He's doing well. He he <laughs> found it very humorous that anybody would want to hear his story, but I promised him that that was a really good uh a good story he told me and I could see in his face and in his mannerisms that he was reliving it as he told it, which yeah. made it extra special. Yeah, no, that's a good batch. Please please tell him I said thanks for sharing that. I certainly will. All right. So um another one of these uh these guys, he was his little bravery. He says, You tell him my name. He says, You tell the story. <laughs> same same thing, uh same way you met this guy yeah, from standing Columbus. standing at a concession stand waiting for somebody to buy a hot dog or a beer and uh so i asked him and this guy was a hardcore uh big marine guy you know he was usually no nonsense you know and i i was a little leery of asking him but i thought what do i got to lose and uh so i asked him and he he actually kind of chuckled and says well yeah he says i got one for you he says he grew up in washington state his name's joe eagle good friend of mine he said that, and I, I actually revisited to ask permission and asked if he wanted to tell the story, which he did not. And I said, you know, I said, let me run through it, make sure I got everything right. He says, well, you don't have how I got the story in the first place. or the. So what had happened, he, he worked at a restaurant, I think as a busboy. And he was 16, he said, in Washington State. And he overheard people talking about this haunted location. And he just had to know more. So they, you know, he's cleaning up tables and they, these people tell him, you know, well, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's, uh, where this one gravel road, which had a name intersects another gravel road and, you know, and there's a cornfield on each side. So there's four cornfields and two crisscrossing gravel roads that had names, which I never got. And that if you were to go there and stay for any amount of time, something will force you to leave or hinder you or hurt you. So he had to find out. He just, he, he took the challenge, you know, challenge accepted. And uh, so it was him and three of his buddies and his dad's car. And uh, they took dad's car out to these intersection and they, they parked it and they got out. And this was back again, late 60s, early 70s. He said, you know, there weren't many, wasn't much traffic. So he just parked right in the middle of the, the intersection to a point. So they got out and they said, "Yeah, you know, we're here to challenge whoever or whatever is here. If you're, you're so big and bad and terrible, we shouldn't be much of a challenge. You know, it's, there's four of us here. We're not afraid of you. And they kind of mocked and, and taunted and 10 minutes or so go by and they realize, ah, there's nothing to see here. It's just cornfields. He never did say if the corn was real high or not, but it obviously, you couldn't see very far into the fields apparently because... They went back to their car, and three of the four tires had slashes in the sidewalls, ten to fifteen inch or ten to twelve inches long. It was his dad's car, and uh, oh, he was mad as a hornet. He said he he knew there was somebody hiding at the edge of that field that was you know playing tra- tricks and and cut his tires. And he says the four of them ran through the fields and and looked around and you know knew they were going to find somebody, but they they didn't find anybody. By luck, somebody they knew was driving by, and they got a ride, and they had to figure out how to get new, you know, the tires replaced on the car. Well, the story doesn't end there. They uh, they decide that they're they're going to come back next time more prepared. They brought two two cars, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, this sixteen year old mind, 
Well, they park police style, driver's door to driver's door, facing both directions. And this time they didn't get out of their cars. They, they were sitting in the cars. They had them off, and they were talking, and they were just watching and waiting. They were having a conversation about something, and all of a sudden, him and his buddy, about 100 yards away, see this blur, this thing manifesting in the gravel road. And what manifests is the upper torso of a Native American warrior with a tomahawk in his hand, face paint on, and this look on his face like he is going to kill you. And he's, he didn't see any legs, but it was rushing at them at high speeds. The other people in the other car who were facing the opposite direction did not see this. But they're also equally as, equally as frightened because what they got was the most um, hair-raising battle scream or battle cry that you can imagine. Both drivers started the cars and tore off in opposite directions, met back at, uh, at Joe's house. Joe he was asking the other guys, did you see it? Did you see it? And they, uh, what are you talking about? We didn't see it. We heard this scream, this horrible battle scream, uh, this warrior cry. And, and Joe's talking about how he saw this uh, Indian with a tomahawk rushing at them. And, and that's what they didn't hear a thing. So, um, yeah, he said that that was his, his one and only moment of, uh, of terror with the supernatural. And he said that was all it took. Totally believe. Don't want to see it again. <laughs> so I said, thank you. That was, that was a pretty, uh, pretty awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the assumption is that the, the Native American warrior slashed the tires. That was their assumption as well, is that, yeah, something is disturbed there that doesn't want anyone around. And uh, if you challenge it, you're going to pay. So I think I've been pretty clear in this whole this whole series so far that, you know, I'm not here to make fun of anybody or, or you know, ridicule anybody. So it's not, this isn't where this question is coming from. I'm just trying to think from the, from the perspective of the skeptic. Sure. So assuming that's the case, if that's what they believe occurred, to a Native American warrior... Presumably from 100, 150 years ago or more. Yeah. How would they know that slashing a tire would, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's very true. I, I I can't tell you unless, you know, maybe there's uh, more than just that one guy. Uh, maybe there's, maybe there's, uh, maybe there was a clash of civilizations <laughs> and, uh, you know, the old pioneers knew what tires were all about. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they got to dig into, who knows? It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but they are convinced that that's that one and the same uh, that scared them and, and slashed the tires was the same thing. Either um, way, it's pretty scary. I can imagine sitting in the car and seeing that or hearing that, you know. Oh, yeah. And coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Scare your pants off. Yeah. No doubt. So Joe only had the one experience, huh? That's the yeah, one and done for him. Yep. Uh, and we have a little bit of time left if you have anything else. Okay. Well, I've got kind of a personal one. It's more recent. We had a, a, a grandfather figure. Um, he, had, he had cancer. He decided he was going to end things himself. And he did. We went to help clean out the house a couple months later. It was summer, really hot, and there's a lot of heavy things to move. And I saw some family there that I don't see very often. One of the guys, he's a little younger than me, great guy, good friend, just kind of live our own lives to a degree. But whenever we get together, it's it's a good time. Um, he was very close to this uh, relative of his, and uh, and I was too. And the two of us 
twice while we were there cleaning this house out had something I can't, it's got to be out of the normal. It didn't make sense to me. It was very hot. There's doors open. We were in the basement. It was a little bit cooler. And it, it got to the point where it was just me and him. And we're talking about this this guy that passed away and fond memories. And all of a sudden, this column of, I want to say it was a column of flies because it didn't, it's the only thing that flies that fast, came out of the, like came from the ground up between us in this just, this tube, like a space of flies spinning around flying. And we looked at each other like, you know, what in the world is going on? Where did they come from? And then as quick as it started, it was gone. And they weren't flying around the room. It wasn't like they were, it it, it was bizarre. So then a little later on, you know, we kind of just brushed it off like, oh, that was weird. Did they just go like up into thin air and disappear? Or did they go out of the room? You know, I didn't watch them to see where they went. I was so confused about what was happening. And once I kind of looked at him like, this is not normal, then it kind of started to dissipate. It's almost as if once it got our attention and we realized that this wasn't quite right, then it just kind of started to go away and we just kind of dismissed it. A little later, again, we're in a different place that was very relevant to our our, um, our family member. And we were talking once again about, um, about him and about this place we were at and about kind of missing him, what he probably would have wanted with his things that were you know left behind. A totally different building. The same thing happens. This column of flies, for a better term, kind of come from the ground between me and him, almost like you've got to look at it because it's between you two, and kind of dissipates again. And neither of us said anything. We just looked at each other, and kind of, I put my head down like, you know, I, that's just a bad sign. That's a bad it's a bad feeling that something is doing this. And I, I don't have an answer to 100% what it is, but it just felt like a, a, a sadness specifically though were they like when you're saying flies are you talking about like they actually looked like a like a bunch of house flies it looked like house flies flying in a circular pattern six foot tall and 12 inches wide wow and uh yeah and probably a hundred of them um no real you know uniformity just um you know it was thicker in the middle and skinnier at the top and bottom and just like a little whirlwind and then gone and um, the only thing I could say that's similar to that is um, we had a neighbor across the street. A couple moved in. They were there for a year, year and a half. And the guy was a laborer. And in the springtime, and we knew each other, but not real well, but, you know, fairly well. And he, he fell over dead on the job, just um, had a heart attack. Uh, his father actually found him a couple hours later in somebody's backyard. And, and they all took it hard because he was young. He was 35, 36. Wow. Um, family had, uh, you know, I guess a history of heart problems. And, and he smoked a little too much. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I had this dream about this guy. And his girlfriend lived across the street still. And I really was reluctant to ever tell her that I had this, this dream about this guy because it wasn't a very good dream. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. And a couple of years later, I actually, she had said something that, that made me think, okay, now it's, it's okay to talk about this. And I told her about this dream I had, and she got this really inquisitive look in her face, and she says, you know, I had a dream about him too. It wasn't exactly the same, but I'll tell you the dream. It was very simple. I was in my house. In my, well, I was in my yard. I'm in my driveway. This whirlwind of dust, 
like, I don't know, like a dirt devil, is blowing through the front yard, and it's maybe 10 or 12 foot tall. And it starts to slow down, and it's him. And he was a, a laborer. Um, I think one of his most prized possessions was uh, he had a, a skid steer, you know, a bobcat. So when this whirlwind stops, he's got pants and boots on, no shirt, and he's got the bucket to the bobcat strapped to chains on his back, strapped around his arms, and he's kind of trudging uncomfortably with this thing on his back. And he doesn't look like he's in pain. It's just like he's stuck with this. This is his burden of some sort. In my mind, it was just, well, this is, you know, this is what he's going to have to deal with for a while. And he, he looked at me, we made eye contact, and he just nodded and went, hey, like, yep, how you doing? This is life. This sucks. And I, I told his, his girlfriend, and she's like, you know, I, I had one dream about him. And he kind of had the same look on his face of, yep, how you doing? Here I am. And uh, she said it was right after he died. My daughter reminded me of uh, something that I should have brought up about our house. So we, we were in the house about two years before she was born. And she started out in a middle bedroom we turned into the nursery well about somewhere between when she was three and four uh, we took her out of that room and 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 one room that was just kind of a half office half storage we turned it into the um, the big girl room it was uh, uh, my wife's aunt painted it and um, bought furniture and uh, really nice looking room and uh, so she started sleeping in there and uh, wasn't long after she started sleeping in that room that, uh, and, and the routine was that in the evenings, um, I would, um, I would take her up to bed and tell her a story or two. Uh, we'd say our prayers and half the time she'd beg for another story or two and I'd fall asleep on the floor next to her bed and she'd wake me up. Sometimes she'd fall asleep, but not very often, but inevitably, uh, it was about a 30-minute ordeal every night um, before uh, I was able to be freed up from um, putting her to bed. So um, one night, I'm in my bedroom with my wife, and uh, I can't even say why, but I wake up, and I turn and look, and she's four inches from my face just standing there looking at me. And it was really disturbing. Uh, you know, we had like a nightlight on. It wasn't pitch black, but it wasn't very lit either. And uh, I said, honey, what, what are you doing? And, you know, she was probably around four. She says I had a bad dream. And uh, I said, well, what was your dream? Well, I've never had a, a three or four-year-old say these words before, but she says I don't want to talk about it. And I, I kind of brushed it off and said, okay, well, let's go back to your room and put you to bed. So we did our routine and, um, you know, said some more stories and, and, and she went off to bed. Well, this became a routine where, um, you know, I don't know if it was the next night or the night after that. I, there she is again, standing next to my bed. And uh, she, I don't know if she tapped on me. She never said anything, but I would just wake up and there she is. And, um, and she did not want to talk about it, but something, you know, she, she would say I had a bad dream. That's, that's really all she would say. Well, 
this happened too many times and uh, I'm an avid outdoorsman so um, I took her uh, to a local reservoir fishing one day and we were out in the middle of the water in, in this boat and I said honey I said you know how uh, you know you're having these bad dreams I said well we're all alone it's just me and you no one else can hear you I said I want you to tell me what's what's this dream that you're having she says that this this mean old lady comes in her room and says stuff to her and and scares her and 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 upsets her and i said well you know you sure this is a dream and she's you know kind of looking out the water and you know says yeah and i said well what does she look like and she's like oh she's got black and white hair and she's she's just ugly and mean and I said, well, does she look like a cartoon, or does she look real? I said, no, she looks real. I said, well, what did she say? And she was looking for the words, kind of staring off into space, shaking her head. She says, just bad, bad things. And I said, is it always the same? Yeah, every time, you know, she comes and tells me bad things. <clears throat> so, I wanted to help with the problem and I wasn't 100% sure how so I said you know you can make her go away if you want and she got this inquisitive look and, and definitely perked up and I said next time she comes in your room and says bad things to you I said you you just turn your back to her and you say your prayers again and she'll be forced to leave and she got this big grin on her face and this sense you could see the the uh you know okay you know now I know what to do I'm gonna do it and um that was it. I never had her come in my room again with uh, any kind of story of a bad dream. So, and she remembers that. She reminded me, "Hey, remember the uh, the lady in my room?" So, and how old was she? She was about four. And she remembers that. Yes. Wow. I know. It must have been profound. <laughs> yeah. Did she ever? Remember what the what the woman was saying to her in a dream, or did she ever? I've never asked her, and it's it's kind of funny. You would think maybe she would say, you know, this many years later, because it was it's been twenty plus years. Um, she hasn't offered, and I, I may ask her. I might I might pick up on that, but I don't know if she'd even remember. It, but she she does remember the telling me that. So, yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder this many years later if she would remember it or just kind of the, or, or you know, it would be cool too to like, uh, um, hook her up with like a, a sketch artist or something like that and have her describe. Oh man, yeah. You know? Yeah. If, if she would, could remember. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. To see what she saw. Yeah. No but, doubt about it. but as we've talked about before, I guess you don't want to invite something back, start thinking about it too much again, you know? No, no, you try to. Keep it at bay. You've mentioned before in your previous stories that you kind of had a history of this sort of thing throughout your life. You remember being a kid and seeing things, the story with the notes folded up on the table and things as far back as you can remember. Is that the only thing your daughter ever mentioned to you? No. Even today? No. She, um, at some point in her teenage years, she said she started seeing something standing in our yard. Um, I... I don't know what that's all about. Said it was all black, a human figure. Um, she said that she 
had dealt with sleep paralysis and the feeling of something like not allowing her to move. Um, and I, I hear that from a lot of people, actually, at that, that age. Um, uh, there may be other things, but those are the things that stick out in my mind with her. Um, so I, I can I can check more into that. Yeah, she's willing to share anything. Uh, be, I'd love to hear it. Just, you know, let her know this is a safe space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought it was a very lovely story. And you tell it so well with such enthusiasm i want you to know it's over well 